to join me there. Excited about getting back into our outline here. And uh, if you need an outline, Brother Doug's coming down the middle aisle. He has some extra ones. We sure would like for you to follow along if you could and uh, join us here in Hebrews 11. We're going to keep it a little short tonight and uh, yet continue and build upon what we've already seen here in the beginning of Hebrews chapter 11. So if you need an outline, I can encourage you. Get Brother uh, Doug's attention and uh, he'll be glad to get you one so you can join us and follow along that way been encouraging as we've considered Abraham here and uh, for a couple of weeks and and uh, certainly inspirational uh, to see Abraham's journey of faith the faith of Abraham in all of its many facets I, I love that the truth that we have seen already about faith through Abraham and the others we've seen and Enoch and, and Abel and, and so forth already. Yet with Abraham's faith, it's multifaceted. And we've already seen that. We've seen some different aspects about it. And it's just encouraging that he too chose, as we must do, to walk by faith. We began in verse number 8. You remember, and we saw simply that first Roman numeral there, uh, Abraham listened to the call and the promise of God. As we went back to Genesis chapter 12, we, we saw that, looked at it, we understood he obeyed and what that obedience looked like. Then the next step in verse number 9, uh, that, that sojourning by faith, that dwelling, that living by faith, and uh, the complete lifestyle change for Abraham took place. And we, we called this, or entitled it, he lived out his faith in light of the promise of God. And uh, so he, he, he put his faith into action. He stepped out by faith, certainly. And then we came, uh, Roman number 3, and verse number 10 describes this for us. He looked for the fulfillment of the promises of God while he lived out that call. So as he was living there in the future promised land, in a sense, and uh, not yet given to him, not yet his inheritance, he, he kept looking in that verse 10. He looked, uh, as, he, as it states here, for a city had foundations. He was no longer going to dwell in a tent and so forth. And we talked a little bit about this living by looking, right? And I, I like the, the picture here. He didn't just, wasn't just a bump of the log. He wasn't just, well, I'm just passing the time. No, he was looking as he lived. And he had a forward look. And we, we described that all that was purpose, right? He had purpose to his living. He was a nomad, certainly. He lived in a tent. Most people think, well, he's just wandering around. He doesn't know where he's going. He doesn't know what he's doing. Can I tell you, Abraham knew exactly what he was doing, and he knew exactly who he was putting his trust in. He had purpose. He had direction in life. And because of that, there was meaning to life. And we looked last time, in fact, we spent a good deal of time understanding that many people in this world do not have purpose. They don't have direction. They don't have meaning to life. And yet Abraham, because of his faith, had that, as I trust you and I do likewise. Then we said living for Jesus by faith means you have an upward look. That's looking for that city. We too join him in doing that. That city described in scriptures by Christ, a place that he's preparing for us. We look for that. And obviously, henceforth, we are encouraged in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 2, set your affections on things above. And uh, your love, your desire, um, uh, your yearning for things above. And not on things here on earth. And that leads to the trouble, damage. <laughs> that leads to disheartened living when you set it in the earth here. So set it on things above. So we concluded last week, and again, very quick review. We concluded last week that you and I are called to, to live with purpose. And we can, why? Because we have the calling of God upon us. And uh, we have the promises from God for every day. So we can live with purpose. And uh, some people lose their purpose once they stop working. Once they retire, they, they feel like they no longer have a purpose. Well, my friend, as a Christian, it doesn't matter if you have a job, you're retired or whatever, you have a purpose. So live with purpose. 
And your purpose doesn't come from an occupation. It doesn't come from anything else this earth might provide. It only comes from the calling of God on your life. To live for Him, to serve Him, and to follow Him in faith. Abraham had that. We're called to do likewise. And so, not only live with purpose, but live looking, right? Look forward, look upward. Every step of this journey, we walk by faith. It's exciting because the story continues. There's another aspect about the faith of Abraham that we delve into tonight. And particularly, this aspect is enlarged by Sarah being added to it. And uh, it's kind of exciting. His wife brought into the picture. And, and even beyond that, God is commending Sarah and Abraham's faith. He's doing so as they go throughout life and they're facing trial after trial of their faith. In fact, very much we could describe it, it seems like the entirety of their lives after answering the call to God. And I find this encouraging. It seems for the entirety of their lives, their faith is continually tried. Now that, that kind of goes right along with scriptures because I think God in heaven loves to try our faith. Why? Because the, the, the product of the trial of our faith is, what, patience and all these good things that follow. The Bible tells us that. So God likes to bring trials. He likes to put us in the furnace of trials and uh, to grow our faith, to, to, to make it stronger, and uh, to help us to be continually dependent upon God. That's true for Abraham and Sarah. And so now we, we, we look at another aspect about this faith. Last time we, we, we focused a little bit more on the reality that he had to wait so long for his, his offspring, his, uh, uh, his lineage, to, to inherit the land. He never got to do that. And uh, that would come to the fourth generation as we looked at. Now as we look at, we want to see this truth. We see Roman number four, Abraham's and Sarah's legacy of lifelong, lifelong trials of their shared faith. We'll be in here a couple weeks as we look at a couple passages. We'll actually skip around in Hebrews a little bit. But we see a legacy. In other words, and I, I like that idea of legacy. Uh, the reason they have a legacy of following lifelong trials is because of how they responded to them. We'll see it even spelled out for us tonight. Can I ask you to dwell on the first four words of verse 11? We've covered down through verse 10. Now we see verse 11. The first four words just simply say this. Through faith, also Sarah. Through faith, also Sarah. You know what I find encouraging in that? Abraham wasn't alone in this walk of faith. He had a help meet on this journey of faith. In fact, could I just put it plainly and clearly, they were together. They were together. And if you're married tonight, you're here and you're married, you ought to be thankful for the spouse that God has given you as a companion in this journey called the life of faith. You'll be grateful that God has allowed you and, and called you to have a companion, a spouse to take this journey with. And we know the statement, two are indeed better than one. My friend, I want to encourage you, that's true. The reality is a shared faith, especially within marriage, but in every relationship, a shared faith always produces closeness. Whenever faith is shared, again, marriage relationship, a friendship, a, a working relationship even, certainly within the community of church, a shared faith produces closeness. And that was so for Abraham and Sarah. We, we, we can easily derive such. And if you're married tonight, again, you ought to be thankful that as like they, as you journey by faith together, as you face different trials of faith that, that for them lasted a lifetime, they became closer to each other, and you can too. 
any of us that have been married for any length of time, we know this to be true. That it is an encouragement, that it is a blessing to have someone else with us. As we face the trials of our faith, as we go through this thing called life, as we walk by faith, can I just tell you, I think Abraham was thankful to have Sarah, and Sarah was thankful to have Abraham. We see presented for us that they are together. And be thankful for the faith of your spouse. And can I also insert this? It's also a good reminder of why it is so important that we not be unequally yoked together, believers with unbelievers in marriage. It's why the New Testament puts forth the principle. Don't, if you're a believer, don't, don't marry an unbeliever. Don't be unequally yoked together. And I trust as we hold this conviction, boy, is it even more important for us to pass that on to our children and our children's children. Don't be unequally yoked together. Listen, you want to have a shared faith as you go through life. May I just ask you a simple question? Is life difficult? Does it have trials? Does it have challenges? Some of you, as we're, we're studying Abraham and Sarah, you have to admit that it feels like you, you, you've, you've lived a life like them. It seems like every time you turn, you're, you're just trusting God in faith. You're facing a different trial of your faith. This is happening. We think of Abraham. We're not even mentioned. Hebrews doesn't mention many of them. We think of the, the contention with Lot. We think of all that. He has to go rescue Lot. and he, A lot of trying of his faith and going this direction, away from the fruitful plains. He's trusting God. And time and time again, they go down to Egypt. And, and the leaders there want Sarah to take Sarah under them and abraham has to trust god or should have so there's always a trial of faith you and i are no different we have trials of faith i just ask you if you're married tonight isn't it good to have someone to walk with you and share those trials of faith isn't it good i mean isn't that a blessing i mean that that's i see these first four words i mean what a blessing it's crucial for us i i can't imagine i cannot imagine going through life and having a spouse that does not have faith in God. Can you imagine how hard that would be? Hence the Bible says, listen, this is the best road forward. This is the best path forward for you. Don't be unequally yoked because that'll just bring up more problems and more trials. Oh, that'd be terrible. Uh, Don't do that. Uh, I can't imagine facing the trials and circumstances of life without the faith that Erica and I share Life really is not doable that way. So, so it was for Abraham and Sarah. They likely would have been very thankful that they didn't face them alone because these are some big trials, shared trials, we might say. And uh, one of those is presented to us in this passage. You know, remember back in Genesis chapter 12, we did not dwell on this aspect of what transpired in Genesis tra- chapter 12 or, or, or this part of it. But when Abraham first received the calling and promises of God, in that passage in Genesis chapter 12, you remember we are told that he's 75 years old. 75 years old, okay? And and we would have to describe him, he ain't no spring chicken, amen? He's 75 years old. He's already pretty up there in age, isn't he? And yet what? God comes along at age 75 and promises him a child. I mean, let's be honest, as we kind of know the story and we think of 75, even in those days, and certainly this is post-flood, the, the longevity of life was declining quickly, and we understand that, okay? So it wasn't like they're living 600 years, 700 years, 800 years like they did pre-flood. It, it, it's steadily declining. So 75 years, that's a kind of, we would say that he's kind of pushing the envelope 
even at this point of having a child. At this time, Sarah herself is 65 years old. Forget grandma, your mom. You're 65 years old. At Genesis chapter 12. So you can imagine, as they receive the promises in Genesis chapter 12, what's going through their minds? Well, they know the... uh, Number one, they've not had a child before up to this point. So we can imagine as God comes along and he says, okay, you're going to have offspring. And from that offspring comes a great nation and I'm going to bless it and produce much from it. And we can imagine immediately, first thing is, they're very, very excited. With Abraham and Sarah, likelihood, certainly in context of, of, of that day and age, to not have children would have been looked down upon. She was barren. They, they were unable to have children. And now God comes along and tells them, you're going to have a child. So they were excited, but what were they both thinking? That's great. That's wonderful, but it better happen soon. It better happen soon because we aren't getting any younger. You ever catch yourself saying that? I'm not getting any younger. You can imagine they're saying that to God. I'm not getting any younger. I'm 75. She's 65. We're not getting any younger. So now let's Put it in context of faith. Can I ask you, how long, listen carefully, how long would it take for them to become nervous and a little anxious about nothing happening? Could you imagine the first few months or days after the promise? Sarah, Sarah, you feel anything? You think anything's happening? Sarah, Sarah, do you think anything's, do you think a few months down the road, Sarah, anything is anything are you craving pickles or anything is, is there anything having that you can tell we're having a, i mean can you imagine here's the promise been barren haven't had a child god comes along and says you're going to have a child how long would it take for anxiety a little is this really going to happen start to creep in two to three years five years ten years 15 years, 20 years, they waited all that and more. They waited all that and more. Now, could I ask you, and putting it in context, when would doubt, when would doubt start to creep in even the strongest heart of faith? When does one start to give in to the frustrations of promises not being fulfilled? Let's make it personal. How how long would it take for doubt and frustration to take up residence in our hearts? Six months? A year? Five years? Ten years? Fifteen years? When would doubt start to take over faith and trust in the promise and clinging to the promise that God said, well, I don't know, Abraham, it's been five years, and even the last five years has been rough on my body. I don't know if I can take it anymore. I don't know if I could do it. I don't think my body could handle giving birth to a child, Abraham. I, I, I don't think that's going to work. Ten years? Fifteen years? Twenty years? Pretty amazing when we put it into perspective of such. See, this is not like the inheritance of the land. This is not something that can happen after they're both dead. This is not something that can occur for generations to come. This has to happen while they both are alive. 
There is a limited time frame of when this could happen. And with each passing day, each passing year, can I just tell you that window is shrinking smaller and smaller and smaller. And the day comes when Abraham wakes up and he's 95 and and Sarah wakes up and she's 85 years old and there's been no baby yet. How would your faith be? We'll talk in a little bit. We sometimes, and we dwell on this story, what do we dwell upon? What we seemingly see is their lack of faith. But I can I tell you, my friend, if any of us were in those shoes and we put it in context as we have just done, we can sympathize with Sarah laughing in a tent door. We can sympathize with Abraham himself laughing at the pronouncement or the reiteration of the promise. It's been forever, it seems. When does frustration and when does doubt? May I ask you this? How long does it take for God to answer your prayer? How long does it take for God to work in a situation in your life, some circumstances that you're facing that require faith before you and I allow doubt and frustration to take over? And our prayer life suffers. We stop praying about that situation. We stop praying about that person's salvation. We stop praying about this whole thing to work out according to God's will because we haven't seen God working. We haven't seen answers to prayer in any iota of an idea concerning or connection to this prayer request. And so our prayer life, especially surrounding that prayer request, slips. Our walking by faith and obedience in other areas, not as strong as it once was. Doubts and frustration creep in. They take up residence. See, later on, when the promise of the child was reiterated, it was renewed to Abraham in Genesis 17. In that chapter, we are told that (laughs) when she bears the son, the child, she will be 90 years old. Again, in Genesis 21, when Isaac is born, you know what we're told about Abraham? You know it. How old was Abraham? Abraham was 100 years old. And Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born unto him. How long did they wait? 25 years. Isn't that amazing? 25 years. We look at it at one point, and you know what we realize? We realize this. Don't miss it. It is plenty of time for the doubts and situations produced by their circumstances frustration excuse me produced by their circumstances to take up residence in their heart and in their thinking it's plenty of time plenty of time for the foundation of faith to be shaken a little bit plenty of time for for faith not to be as strong as it should be for plenty of time for the the promises to be replaced by what we would call and you know what some people would call today reality The reality of what you see. Walking and living by sight instead of faith. And so these promises that underpin uh, underpin faith become smaller. and uh, The reality of what we see in our circumstances become greater than those promises. Plenty of time. 25 years. In fact... Every day they woke up and they looked in the mirror and nothing had happened yet and they see themselves growing older and older. In fact, I love their own depiction of themselves, don't you? Um, From the scriptures and a few of the er the verses we described earlier, Genesis 17, 21, Abraham knew that he was what? He was old. He was in old age, right? I used to be offended when someone younger called me old, but not anymore. You just take it, Amen. He knew he was old. I love what Sarah says. Okay, this is around the time that she laughed, and so you know what she said about herself? Uh, yeah, I, I have waxed old. I think that's an eloquent way of putting it. Amen. 
haven't grown old, I waxed old, okay? That's what she said, though. She understands. She's looking at the circumstances. She said, listen, I've waxed old. This is, this is, this is not possible. This is, my body is not ready for this. This is not going to happen. Wax old. And they were right. That's the amazing thing. Hebrews chapter 11, the verses before us, that's exactly what God's bringing out. Look at verse number 10 with me, if you will, or 11, excuse me, verse 11. Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was, notice the terminology, past age. So the Bible in Hebrews 11 said, yep, they're right, they were old, (laughs) She's past age. Look down at verse number 12. Notice what it says about Abraham. Therefore sprang there even of one in him as good as... What's the next word? Don't you love that description, amen? Man, you look as good as dead. In modern vernacular, you might think it means like, well, he's got one foot in the grave, amen? We'll say that. He's got one foot in the grave. Now, understand. Let's, let's understand context. They're not really describing his age, per se. They're not talking about him having one foot in the grave. That's not what the Holy Spirit is saying here in Paul. What it means is that as one that is dead, that he had no capability. His body was unable to produce offspring. He could not produce the the seed by which a child would be formed. He was completely unable, incapable. It could not happen. He was so old, he was not able to, uh, to give his part to the birth of a child as Sarah could not. She was past age. He (laughs) was good as dead. God was a little nicer to Sarah, amen? She was just past age. Him, good as dead. Okay, body wouldn't work. It wouldn't do what was necessary. It could not produce the seed and so forth, okay? Now, uh, what does that tell us? Here's what we derive from it, okay? Letter A, and I don't think it'll be next week till we get to letter B, but letter A is this. The human impossibility of the fulfillment of the given promise. From a human perspective, we're looking at this situation, this, this journey of faith for Abraham and Sarah. Already we realize they're not going to gain the land. The only land he'll have of the promised land is a place to bury himself, right? And his, his grave. Now when it comes to the other part of the promise, a child, it does not seem like it's happening. The human impossibility, they reach whatever age. And if it hadn't been so when the promise was given, it was certainly true after 10, 15, 20 years Abraham and Sarah just couldn't have children. The text in Hebrews 11 is clear. I believe it is also clear, I know it is, in the book of Genesis. What is that? Well, this was biologically and physiologically impossible at this point in their lives. Biologically and physiologically impossible at this point in their lives. That's what's meant by the the statement, she is past age. Now, can I just, forgive me, I, I, I can't put myself completely into this position. But think about Sarah for a moment. Because I think this verse reflects well upon her in her predicament, her situation. And sometimes we don't think of this. Sarah, and I get it, I know up until Ishmael, right, or through Hagar, he, Abraham didn't have any sons either, but Sarah cannot have a child she is barren again something in that society and culture that would have been looked down upon 
often the whatever deity they served, that would have been seen as the blessing of that deity, the blessing upon their lives. In fact, it was looked upon as a curse. And we, we think of even Hannah and Samuel and so forth. So we get it. That was something throughout the, the Far East and other places that was rather prevalent, this view. So she's barren. God comes along and promises her a child. Then she waits two years, five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. How heartbreaking would that have been? Many of you have known people that couldn't have children. What if a doctor came along and said, I 100% guarantee it. You try this and do this, we're, we're gonna, you're going to have a child. It doesn't happen. Well, granted, no doctor is like God, amen? But it also does kind of give us in the mindset of Sarah. So I think you and I can have a little bit more sympathy for Sarah than we often do. She's been barren, hasn't had a child. God comes along and promises it, and time passes. She waxes old as she even puts forth herself. You see, eventually it dawned on her. Maybe about the time that she came up with the terrible plan of him going into Hagar and having Ishmael, uh, it dawned on her that it was well past her time to be able to have it. In fact, again, the Bible makes it clear. Genesis chapter 18 and in verse number 11 would tell us that. Here, here's what it says. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old and well stricken in age. Another great terminology, right? And it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. She was past childbearing age. We have terms for that and such, medically speaking, even today. But she was past that. It, it, it was a known fact, right? She was past that. It, it, it was impossible. Her childbearing years were done, period. You know what's pictured for us? Human frailty and impossibility. Human impossibility and human frailty. That's what we see in the story. There's just no way that it could happen with every year that passed. The circumstances grew in their impossibility. Couldn't happen. This, don't miss it, was a trial of their faith that lasted 25 years. Because we often will say, well, why Sarah mentioned here? We know her story. We know her failures. We, we, we see it. Why is Sarah mentioned here? Well, sometimes it helps us to step back and put ourselves in her shoes. Now listen, and I think the passage will answer even that question in greater detail. You see, with the passing of each of those years, the, the temptation, oh, how great the temptation would have been to surrender to the doubt, the frustration, the disappointment. That temptation would just grow and grow. Give in, give in to the doubt. L let go of hope. Let go of, uh, of faith in the promise of God. Just let go, surrender to doubt and disappointment and heartache and regret surrender surrender to it that temptation would grow and let's be honest hey let's be honest there were times and there were moments that both abraham and sarah did they surrendered to the doubt they surrendered to the frustration they surrendered to the disappointment but we read a most amazing statement in verse number 11 man i love this this is so encouraging we come to verse number 11, and here's what we read. You see it, the last part, verse number 11. We didn't read it the first time. It says this, because, because she judged him faithful who had promised. 
This is an amazing statement to me. This is, this is like shocking on some level because this is brand new information that we don't, necessarily, we don't necessarily have in Genesis. We don't see much of that described. So here's two things we see from it, and I think you'll be encouraged tonight. Number one is this. This is exemplary faith in the face of a forever long trial. Exemplary faith in the face of a long trial. Now, some of you here tonight, you're, you're facing a trial that's lasted two years, five years, ten years, two months, six months, however long. This ought to be encouraging to you. You see, God encourages us by sharing with us, don't miss it, her faith was not in her circumstances, but in the Creator who gave her the promises. And boy, that's so easy. Here's where it's easy to surrender. I'm looking, I'm walking by sight, and I see my circumstances. It doesn't look like this answer to prayer where everything, I don't know if there will ever be a solution to this. I don't know if it will ever come to pass. And our circumstances, we become to have more faith in those that tell us it's not going to happen than in a God who says it will happen. So Sarah, she chooses. I like that term. Did you catch it? She judged what does a judge issue at the end of a court case? A decision, a verdict, right? It's a decision, a verdict. He, he, he issues a decision on the case. Whatever kind of case it is, there's a decision issued. And I like that terminology used in our English and the King James here. She judged. She made a decision. She chose. She chose to say, my creator is more worthy of my trust and faith than my circumstances. And my friend, when you do that, good things will happen. Good things will happen. The blessings of God will flow. See if he doesn't open the windows of heaven and bless you. Greater faith in your creator than your circumstances. You'll never go wrong. Now here's the funny thing. Could you imagine a visitor coming and meeting with Abraham and Sarah and somewhere in the, the context, hey, where, where's your children? Uh, we don't have any. Oh, that must be hard. It is, but we're going to have one. Uh, what? Excuse me? I, I don't mean to be rude, but how old are you? Oh, I'm 85. Hmm. All right, I think I need to be going now. Thanks for the visit. <laughs> I mean, you think about that. Oh, yeah, we have a, how would that look to the world? Here's what it would look. That kind of faith in such a humanly impossible situation, the world would say, man, you're either deaf, dumb, ignorant, or you're blind. And my friend, can I just tell you right now? Sometimes when you and I show faith in God in this world, we do look deaf, dumb, blind, and ignorant to the world. But do you know what faith is? See, true biblical faith is deaf to doubt, it's dumb to discouragement, and it's blind to human impossibilities. True biblical faith. It is deaf to doubt. You'll never convince me. It won't happen. God said it. I believe it. I'm, I'm taking that to the bank. You'll ne No, I don't hear it. I know what the circumstances say. I know what reality seems to show. I'm just trusting God. I'm deaf to doubt. I'm dumb to disappointment. Don't you know, Sarah and Abraham, you ought to be discouraged. You ought to be mad at God. You ought to shake your fist. He's promised you 20-something years ago that you're going to have a baby, and it hasn't happened. Aren't you disappointed? 
dumb to disappointment. And then people, that's never going to happen. Give up. Stop, stop believing that. Blind to human impossibility. That's true biblical faith, friend. And at times, that's exactly what Sarah showed. You see, Sarah had no human reason to have strong faith. But that's what the Bible says she had. It was faith that moved God to act. In fact, here's the the beauty of this verse. Notice how he connects it together. He says, listen, she judged this, and because she judged the creator worthy of faith, God moved. He acted on her behalf. She had the strength. She received the strength to have a baby, all because she judged her creator more worthy of her faith in her circumstances. I love how the, the verse is worded. He says, Sarah joined Abraham in faith. It isn't Abraham over here and then Sarah over here, no. And sometimes we read the story, we find that, no, it's Abraham and Sarah together. And here's an instance where Sarah really, she shows faith. And because of that, God went to work on her behalf. She received strength. That's what the verse says here before us. She was delivered of a child when she was past age. The impossible was made possible. She was spiritually deaf, dumb, and blind to her circumstances. She, she maintained her faith in God and the promise, and this is a choice you and I must exercise every day as we walk by faith. Number two, probably to me the most encouraging aspect of this little truth, the little verse here, is this. Number two, not only is hers an exemplary faith, but this is an encouraging record of faith, not failure. This is an encouraging record of faith, not failure. See, it's interesting. As I alluded to earlier, it's hard not to say too much earlier, but the Genesis account of all these things that happen, you know what we read? There's very little indication of Sarah's faith. We are not told in Genesis chapter, uh, any of those chapters of her great faith. In fact, I don't think Abraham's faith is ever called great in Genesis either. But Sarah just seems to be, we, we always see her bad side, okay? Any of you are not photogenic and it always captures your bad side? Sarah's got to be thinking, man, I read what happened in Genesis and how it's presented to people who read the Bible and it's always, it's always my worst side. It's always the, 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 my, the worst foot forward. It's, it's never good about me. And we read that. And in fact, if you and I teach in Sunday school, we, we just had one, one little uh, time, one little Sunday school to, to teach about Abraham and Sarah, specifically Sarah, it wouldn't be very good. Especially as it connects to this. I mean, it's funny, on two different occasions. God comes, and, or Jesus Christ, the often, most likely, and regardless, word comes, and it reiterates the promises. Genesis 17, Genesis 18, the promise of the child. You remember on two different occasions, both Sarah and Abraham laugh. That's what I said. Hey, listen, they had surrendered to doubt, frustration, disappointment. There were times in this journey of faith that they weren't perfect in their faith. In fact, I think Abraham, we remember Sarah laughing in the tent. But do you remember what Abraham did? Don't miss it. Abraham literally fell down laughing in front of God's messengers. I don't know about you, that seems a little disrespectful, doesn't it? 
That seems a little over the top. The Bible says he fell on his face laughing. This can't happen. How is that going to... I mean, and then, and then to make matters worse, right? Sarah orchestrated the birth of Ishmael. And one of the, one of the interesting aspects about that is almost immediately, she what? She regrets it. She regrets it. Isn't it funny? The best laid plans of men often fall and falter. Fail and falter. God says, that's not how I'm going to do this. And immediately she's asking to send them away and so forth. And, and what happens? Well, they read the, you realize in the camp there, there's strife. Strife? What happens? Well, it's kind of funny, isn't it? The children of Ishmael today are still at strife with Israel. Arabs. Isn't that crazy? All for one bad choice. A moment of faith not being strong. And they said, okay, we got to take Sarah. Sarah initiated it. Abraham, we've got to fix this. God said he'd be offspring. Let's help him along. Boy, aren't you thankful God really doesn't need us to help it along? We can just trust him. So Sarah initiates it. They do this. And it's, the consequences are everlasting, it would seem, at least until Christ comes back. So we see, here's encouragement. <laughs> it doesn't sound like encouragement. Here's encouragement, okay? Their times of faltering in faith are recorded for us. We see it. We read Genesis. The, their impatience at times was extremely costly, as we've just detailed. Don't miss it. We're done. But that's not what this passage in Hebrews brings up. And my friend, that is a credit, don't miss it, it is a credit to our God. Because you know what we learn about our gracious God in this passage? It's this truth. He chooses not to dwell on our failures, in which we demonstrate weak faith, but rather upon our moments of strong faith. He chooses God makes the decision. He says, I'm not going to dwell on your faltering and your failures. I'm not going to dwell on your moments of weakness. I'd much rather dwell upon your moments of strong faith. Could I just ask you tonight, aren't you thankful for that? And aren't you thankful that God in heaven says, listen, I, I don't want to bring those up, throw your sins in front of you. I don't want to throw your favor, your failures in your face. I'm not going to do that. There's a good chance many of us know humans who like to do that. Who might even gain enjoyment from throwing your failures in your face and so forth. God doesn't do that. In fact, we find quite the opposite about our gracious God. He says, I, I don't want to dwell upon your failures, your moments of weak faith. I, I'm going to remember those moments of strong faith. Here's what I wonder. I wonder if there's a time in heaven when A.D. 60, A.D. 90, A.D. 120, there's a time in heaven and word came to Sarah in heaven and somebody said, Sarah, do you realize there's a book in the Bible called Hebrews? And in that book of Hebrews, there's a chapter. It's, it's called the, the Hall of Faith, Sarah. It recounts all these instances in the Old Testament of people you know, Sarah, and others you don't, that, that lived by faith. They journeyed by faith, and they showed great faith. And Sarah, Sarah, you're in it. You're in it. How do you think Sarah would respond? 
I think, in all her humanness, the fact, her humanity, she would have to be taken back. She'd have to say, well, well, I'm in there? Why am I in there? Why am I listed among all these? She had to be shocked, as I believe many of the others would be too, not just Sarah, but they'd be shocked, unbelieving that they could ever be mentioned in such a chapter that celebrates the faith of God's people when she knew her own failures. Because aren't we good at focusing on our failures? Those moments that we lack faith, and certainly they're more than they should be, they're more than we want them to be, but there are moments there. But here she is. And maybe your children would ask you, Mom, Dad, why is Sarah in Hebrews 11? We've learned in Sunday school, in junior church, in church, we've learned how Sarah laughed at God. We've learned how, how, how Sarah didn't seem to believe God. Why is Sarah here? Well, the easy answer is this. We serve a great God. But beyond that, or to explain a little bit better, more in depth, here's why. Because we serve a kind and merciful God that sees beyond our doubts, our failures, our weak faith at times. And he chooses, he chooses to see those moments that we cling to faith in him, especially in the face of the impossible. There is a God in heaven who looked at Sarah's life and, oh, there were bad moments. There were moments where she lacked faith. There was moments where she, she tried to take things in her own hands and, and she... There were moments of weak faith, but I sure am thankful we serve a God who chose to see the moments of strong faith. And she judged her creator worthy of her faith. I don't know about you, my friend, but tonight I am encouraged by the God I serve. Didn't see my weaknesses. Oh, they're there. I, I have to confess them as we should. And we have to, we lament over our, our failures and weaknesses. But we serve a God who chooses to see beyond our failures, our moments of weak faith. You know what it ought to do? It ought to move us to follow him more closely, to walk with him, to love him more, because we serve such a gracious God. Next week, we'll delve back into the chapter. We'll see letter B here. And as we finish up this part of the story, add another trial of their faith together. Very clear, if you'll bring those prayer